This is section 90 of Mark Twain's Speeches by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Welcome Home by Mark Twain. Read by John Greenman. Address at the dinner in his honor at the Lotus Club, November 10th, 1900. In August 1895, just before sailing for Australia, Mr. Clemens issued the following statement. It has been reported that I sacrificed, for the benefit of the creditors, the property of the publishing firm whose financial backer I was, and that I am now lecturing for my own benefit. This is an error. I intend the lectures, as well as the property, for the creditors. The law recognizes no mortgage on a man's brains, and a merchant who has given up all he has may take advantage of the laws of insolvency and may start free again for himself. But I am not a businessman, and honor is a harder master than the law. It cannot compromise for less than one hundred cents on a dollar, and its debts are never outlawed. I had a two-thirds interest in the publishing firm whose capital I furnished. If the firm had prospered, I would have expected to collect two-thirds of the profits. As it is, I expect to pay all the debts. My partner has no resources, and I do not look for assistance to my wife, whose contributions in cash from her own means have nearly equaled the claims of all the creditors combined. She has taken nothing. On the contrary, she has helped, and intends to help me to satisfy the obligations due to the rest of the creditors. It is my intention to ask my creditors to accept that as a legal discharge, and trust to my honor to pay the other fifty per cent as fast as I can earn it. From my reception thus far on my lecturing tour, I am confident that if I live I can pay off the last debt within four years, after which, at the age of sixty-four, I can make a fresh and unencumbered start in life. I am going to Australia, India, and South Africa, and next year I hope to make a tour of the great cities of the United States. I thank you all out of my heart for this fraternal welcome, and it seems almost too fine, almost too magnificent, for a humble Missourian such as I am, far from his native haunts on the banks of the Mississippi. Yet my modesty is in a degree fortified by observing that I am not the only Missourian who has been honored here tonight. For I see at this very table here is a Missourian, indicating Mr. McElway, and there is a Missourian, indicating Mr. Depew, and there is another Missourian, and Hendricks, and Clemens, and last but not least, the great Missourian of them all, here he sits, Tom Reed, who has always concealed his birth till now. And since I have been away, I know what has been happening in his case. He has deserted politics, and now is leading a creditable life. 
he has reformed and god prosper him and i judge by a remark which he made upstairs a while ago that he had found a new business that is utterly suited to his make and constitution and all he is doing now is that he is around raising the average of personal beauty but i am grateful to the president for the kind words which he has said of me and it is not for me to say whether these praises were deserved or not i prefer to accept them just as they stand without concerning myself with the statistics upon which they have been built but only with that large matter that essential matter the good fellowship the kindliness the magnanimity and generosity that prompted their utterance well many things have happened since i sat here before and now that i think of it the president's reference to the debts which were left by the bankrupt firm of charles l webster and company gives me an opportunity to say a word which i very much wish to say not for myself but for ninety-five men and women whom i shall always hold in high esteem and in pleasant remembrance the creditors of that firm they treated me well they treated me handsomely there were ninety-six of them and by not a finger's weight did ninety-five of them add to the burden of that time for me ninety-five out of ninety-six they didn't indicate by any word or sign that they were anxious about their money they treated me well and i shall not forget it i could not forget it if i wanted to many of them said don't you worry don't you hurry that's what they said why if i could have that kind of creditors always and that experience i would recognize it as a personal loss to be out of debt i owe those ninety-five creditors a debt of homage and i pay it now in such measure as one may pay so fine a debt in mere words yes they said that very thing i was not personally acquainted with ten of them and yet they said don't you worry and don't you hurry i know that phrase by heart and if all the other music should perish out of the world it would still sing to me i appreciate that i am glad to say this word people say so much about me and they forget those creditors they were handsomer than i was or tom reed oh you have been doing many things in this time that i have been absent you have done lots of things some that are well worth remembering too now we have fought a righteous war since i have gone and that is rare in history a righteous war is so rare that it is almost unknown in history but by the grace of that war we set cuba free and we joined her to those three or four nations that exist on this earth and we started out to set those poor filipinos free too and why 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 that most righteous purpose of ours has apparently miscarried 
I suppose I never shall know. But we have made a most creditable record in China in these days. Our sound and level-headed administration has made a most creditable record over there, and there are some of the powers that cannot say that by any means. The yellow terror is threatening this world today. It is looming vast and ominous on that distant horizon. I do not know what is going to be the result of that yellow terror, but our government has had no hand in evoking it, and let's be happy in that and proud of it. We have nursed free silver. We watched by its cradle. We have done the best we could to raise that child, but those pestiferous Republicans have— well, they keep giving it the measles every chance they get, and we never shall raise that child. Well, that's no matter. There's plenty of other things to do, and we must think of something else. Well, we have tried a president four years, criticized him and found fault with him the whole time, and turned around a day or two ago with votes enough to spare to elect another. Oh, consistency! Consistency! Thy name—I don't know what thy name is. Thompson will do. Any name will do. But you see, there is the fact. There is the consistency. Then we have tried for governor an illustrious rough rider, and we liked him so much in that great office that now we have made him vice-president, not in order that that office shall give him distinction— but that he may confer distinction upon that office. And it's needed, too, it's needed. And now, for a while anyway, we shall not be stammering and embarrassed when a stranger asks us, what is the name of the vice-president? This one is known. This one is pretty well known, pretty widely known, and in some quarters favorably. I am not accustomed to dealing in these fulsome compliments, and I am probably overdoing it a little. But, well, my old affectionate admiration for Governor Roosevelt has probably betrayed me into the complimentary excess. But I know him, and you know him, and if you give him rope enough—I mean, if—oh, uh, yes, uh, he will justify that compliment leave it just as it is. And now we have put in his place Mr. Odell, another rough rider, I suppose. All the fat things go to that profession now. Why, I could have been a rough rider myself if I had known that this political Klondike was going to open up, and I would have been a rough rider if I could have gone to war on an automobile, but not on a horse. No, I know the horse too well. I have known the horse in war and in peace, and there is no place where a horse is comfortable. The horse has too many caprices, and he is too much given to initiative. He invents too many new ideas. No, I don't want anything to do with a horse. And then we have taken Chauncey Depew out of a useful and active life, and made him a senator, embalmed him, corked him up. And I am not grieving. 
that man has said many a true thing about me in his time and i always said something would happen to him look at that pointing to mr depew gilded mummy he has made my life a sorrow to me at many a banquet on both sides of the ocean and now he has got it perish the hand that pulls that cork all these things have happened all these things have come to pass while i have been away and it just shows how little a mugwump can be missed in a cold unfeeling world even when he is the last one that is left a grand old party all by himself and there is another thing that has happened perhaps the most imposing event of them all the institution called the daughters of the crown uh, the daughters of the royal crown has established itself and gone into business now there's an american idea for you there's an idea born of god knows what kind of specialized insanity but not softening of the brain you cannot soften a thing that doesn't exist the daughters of the royal crown nobody eligible but american descendants of charles the second dear me how the fancy product of that old harem still holds out well i am truly glad to foregather with you again and partake of the bread and salt of this hospitable house once more seven years ago when i was your guest here when i was old and despondent you gave me the grip and the word that lift a man up and make him glad to be alive and now i come back from my exile young again fresh and alive and ready to begin life once more and your welcome puts the finishing touch upon my restored youth and makes it real to me and not a gracious dream that must vanish with the morning i thank you end of welcome home by mark twain read by john greenman